Hello listeners, Jenna here. Before we dive into this episode, I want to give a quick content warning because we will be talking about some deaths and some gruesome murders, so please take care when listening. It could have been a me problem, just not being able to follow the story as well. But I just think that there is kind of a missed opportunity. Let's like come back to it. Let's like tie it into like their story somehow. Okay. Yeah. I mainly asked because I wanted to see if this there was as much confusion for you as there was for me. And evidently there was. Yeah. Welcome to Red Wine Reads, a community of book lovers talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite books while pouring a glass or two of wine. I'm your host, Jenna Miller, and with me today is Ella Kopakin, aka the Elkhead woman who plays basketball. Now, before we start, I should warn you that we do spoil the endings of the books we review, so if you don't like that, then please go finish the book and come right back to this episode. But if you're just here for some fun-loving conversation, then welcome. We're so glad you're here. So whether you want to read one, none, or all of these books, the choice is up to you. The reviews are not backed by any science or experience just purely two opinionated amateur readers. So you may hate the books we love or love the books we hate. Everyone has different tastes, but we hope this podcast is fun to listen to no matter how you like your books. You can tell us your opinion and your hot takes of these books on our Instagram and TikTok at rwreadspodcast. That's at r-w-r-e-a-d-s-p-o-d-c-a-s-t. So without further ado, let's pull some corks and get reading. This week we read The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. Hello, welcome again. We need to like keep track of how many episodes we're at. It's a lot now. I need to be be able to say like, welcome to your 50th episode. I'm going to just call it and say that this is my thousandth episode and I'm so thrilled to be here. So excited to have you here for this episode. Can you believe that we've done over a thousand episodes in less than a year? That's like huge. It's like we've just been on nonstop. Just pumping episodes out. I am not going to lie. I'm like, not that I'm not excited for every episode, but like this is the first episode in a while that I feel like is going to be a little bit controversial and I'm really ready for it. I think so too. I I have a very, very deep feeling that we are going to be on opposite sides of this book. See, I actually don't think that that's true and I'm very excited to get into it, but I, I... Let's just do your do your spiel. Let's let's do it, guys. Well, let's do it. (laughs) So this week we read The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. So this book was published in 2020. So relatively new book. It received a 3.7 out of 5 on Goodreads and won the Bram Stoker Award for novel and also the Shirley Jackson Award for novel. And both of these are awards for like horror, psychological suspense type books. So a little bit about Stephen Graham Jones. He is an enrolled member of the Blackfoot Native American tribe, and he is an author of experimental fiction, horror, crime, and science fiction. Sweet. And he is also the Ivina Baldwin Professor of English at the University of Colorado Boulder. Oh, someone representing the home state. Jenna's from Colorado. Yeah. Um, so let's read the summary. So from New York Times bestselling author Stephen Graham Jones comes a novel that is equal parts psychological horror and cutting social commentary on identity politics and the American Indian Indian experience. Fans of Jordan Peele and Tommy Orange will love this story as it follows the lives of four American Indian men and their families, all haunted by a disturbing, deadly event that took place in their youth. Years later, they find themselves tracked by an entity bent on revenge, totally helpless as the culture and traditions they left behind catch up with them in a violent, vengeful way. Or in, um, again, spoilers, if you don't like spoilers, hop out now. Give you a second. 
Uh, yeah, it'll also turn up in the form of a, a woman with an Elkhead. Elkhead woman. That's my new new Tinder bio. <laughs> okay, let's let's dive in. Let's dive in. Characters, characters, give them to me. I did not write down the characters. That is cool. We got Ricky. We got Ricky, who dies in the first couple pages. Yes, we got Ricky. I'm so sorry that you had to go down, my guy. We have Lewis, who uh, is... I would say in the bulk of this book, mm-hmm. he left the reservation after the incident and he ended up with Peta, who is a white woman, which is not exactly looked at on well by a lot of his fellow black feet. He, yeah, he's a chill dude until he's very much not. <laughs> <laughs> then there's Shaney who is a member of the Crow tribe and she also works at the post office with Lewis. And yeah, we'll we'll get into Shaney. There's a lot to be said about Shaney, but I really, really feel bad for Shaney in a lot of ways. I feel bad for Peta too, <laughs> that they both did not do well. But Peta's actually really chill. She's like a pole vaulter. She's like a super athlete. Yeah, she like saved Lewis by chucking him into the wall. <laughs> then there is... So it's Cass, short for Cassidy. Yep, and Greg. Is his name? No, his name is not Greg. What is his name? Oh my God. Gabe. 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 <laughs> Whoa. Um, so then there's Cassidy and Gabe who both stayed on the reservation. And then there's Denora, uh, Gabe's daughter. Yes, who is Gabe's daughter. And then, of course, there is, I cannot say her name, what the Blackfoot word for it is, but then there's the elk-headed woman, who's my favorite character. Let's give it up. <laughs> Let's give it up for the elk-headed woman. Yeah, no, I mean, what is there to be said about the elk-headed woman? She's a demon and she is out for blood and she does not care about who you are or how you are related to the incident. She wants you gone, baby. <laughs> yes, she has one bloodshot bloodshot eye um, where she was... Where she was shot in the eye. <laughs> oh, should I say what I'm drinking? Yes, yes, Ella, what are we drinking tonight? I am drinking a tequila soda, unoriginal, because every time I'm drinking alcohol on this show, that's what I'm drinking, so I'm sorry about that, but there we go. Yep, and for the first time ever, I am drinking water, only because... (gasps) Thank you, that was the reaction I was hoping for. We went hard this weekend at the March Madness tournament, uh, Sweet 16, with the family, so I'm rehydrating with water. That's so fair. I will I will take I will take the bullet for both of us and uh, down a bunch of alcohol for you. Down all the alcohols. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, no. Let's uh, we'll we'll kind of like touch on the characters as we dive in a little deeper in into this. So, I'm going to start off with the things that I liked about this book. And one thing, speaking of characters, I actually did like the development of some of the male characters in this book, like um, Lewis and Gabe. They both kind of got an interesting storyline and you really got to kind of see what they were dealing with internally and even with like Cassidy and his relationship. And I feel like you just got to know these guys really well, especially in the sweat lodge scene and with Nathan, I think is the young boy's name. Yes. Oh, we should say he's like a teenager, though. (laughs) That sounds creepy. He's like, he's not sick. He's like 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And his dad uh, is a cop and he wanted him to get the full experience of the ancestors and get into a sweat lodge. And, and so I just think that the development of those characters in particular were really 
quite good. And I think kind of gave you a good sense of like what these guys are really dealing with after this incident had happened and kind of how they each went their different ways. I agree. I know what you're going to say because you're saying that you like the male characters and how they were developed. And I agree that the women in this book are a little bit shorted. And we can talk about that. But yeah, no, here here's my summation of the book. I loved everything until the last chapter. He's obviously like using these four characters to dissect, you know, how do you carry on your legacy while also being your own person? And uh, what does that end up being through these four different men? But I mean, look, the, the ending of the book is not good. <laughs> and it's really annoying because he does such a good job of getting you invested in these guys. Like the the psychosis of Lewis, the building psychosis of Lewis and having this really normal guy who's in love with this woman go from being just like a post office worker who loves his dog and loves his wife to being a killer is really fascinating. And I thought that the opening of the book was really fascinating, having it just be this like brutal murder of Ricky right off the bat to set a tone was really jarring in a great way. And I really liked the doofusness of Cassidy and Gabe and, you know, Gabe trying to get his shit together, even though he's an alcoholic and like he just really loves his daughter. And there was a lot of elements that I did really like the characters. And I genuinely liked that there was this push and pull between this evil entity and them. And then it ended in such a bizarre way of this like basketball game that it felt like all this beautiful character development had just been totally undermined by like a ridiculous ending. Yes, I 100% agree. I would say, um, in addition to that, I would say the beginning was not my favorite. Okay. And then the middle into the red wedding, I call it, of the book, of where everyone just goes batshit crazy and starts killing each other. (laughs) The red sweat lodge. (laughs) I thought that that was really, really good, really, really strong. And then, again, once Denora came in, I was like, what the actual fuck? It felt like he realized that he had written a story mostly about men and that the women had either been killed or villainized. And so he felt like he had to make a really big snap judgment and just like insert a woman in. And the truth is, is that I think that there would have been just as much power in, like, I felt like the book needed to end with the Elkhead woman killing Gabe. Yes. I think the book had needed to end with her winning and an open-ended question of like, what was going to happen to Denora? But instead, he felt the need to say like, no, there's going to be a woman protagonist and she's going to be cool and she's going to play basketball. We were like, okay, fine, I guess. Like, like it just, it didn't need to happen. And, and I like, I spent so much of it being like, this is going to be awesome. The villain never wins. And then the villain didn't win. And I was like, okay, but she kind of should have. Like she was a powerful force and they were human. (laughs) And even just like the ending with, I like honestly didn't get it (laughs) in the field. And I get it. That's where they like killed the elk. But then I was like, wait, was she the mom or was she the the calf? Literally. (laughs) And then I was like, now I'm confused. Because at first I thought she was the mom. And then she's like, I'm going to kill your calf like you killed mine. But then I was like, wait, no, it's the calf. And then I was like, I don't know anymore. (laughs) 
I don't know what I'm reading. Well, okay. I have a couple of questions for you. One is that why didn't you, because this relates to my larger question. So A, why did you not like the beginning? Yes, yes, yes. Um, this is why. I thought the story with Ricky was actually phenomenal. Like I thought that that part really grabbed me and I was very interested. What I didn't love was we didn't really come back to it. And so I was kind of like, I, I missed out on the Ricky character of it all. I feel like I wish we would have come back to it in some way. And I thought that his his murder was like a slightly different than everyone else's with the elk that just like was random, punched a different bunch of different cars. It was kind of a chaotic scene. And so I think I wish we would have maybe like come back to it just so that it would have like kind of tied it in a little bit better to everyone else. And then I think that all the characters were kind of introduced at once. And so I got very confused at the scenes of them at the house with the dog and like how the dog died, but then came back to life and then died again. That part was like a little bit confusing for me. So it was kind of like murky until I really got into the Lewis story of it all with like him and Peta. And so I think I was just, if we would have just started with Lewis, like seeing the Elkhead woman, I don't know. I just felt like it was just like a little too chaotic for me. And then once I started to understand, then I got better. (laughs) Yeah. It could have been a me problem, just not being able to follow the story as well. But I just think that there was kind of a missed opportunity with like Ricky's murder because it was so brutal of let's like come back to it. Let's like tie it into like their story somehow. Okay. Yeah. I mainly asked because I wanted to see if this, there was as much confusion for you as there was for me. And evidently there was. Yeah. His best moments of the book were the most human, you know, the stuff unrelated to the elk headed woman, the like sheer terror of Ricky or the slow insanity of Lewis or even the casual repartee between Cass and Gabe felt the most compelling to me. Mm. Like the elk-headed woman as a concept is super fascinating and super cool. Yeah. And I thought that the incident itself, that reveal was really brutal and beautiful. But yeah, there were so many moments where I, I totally see what you're saying about Ricky's murder now that I think about it. Cause like, I really liked it as a kind of introduction to the book, but also you're right in the sense that he was killed in the most horrible way because he wasn't killed by the elk-headed woman. He was killed by, I mean, neither was Lewis, I guess, but he was killed by men who thought that they had beat up their cars and it was purely a racist incident that he ended up getting killed. So it was like he basically died because of a hate crime and it didn't come back. And it felt like Lewis's killing lingered on more. And I, I, I completely agree with that. But there was just so many moments that kind of were a through line to Ricky's murder in the sense of how confusing they were because it was like he just would go into these spurts of five to ten pages where it was very dreamlike and surreal but because it didn't really work yeah you were so taken between fantasy and reality that there was no easy comeback from either one and so you just ended up being like I don't know what any of that meant yeah, it like took you out of the story. And even when you're like flashing back to the incident, it was like, wait, is this like real or is this not? I'm still like confused as to why this was as big of a deal as it was. Well, I see. OK, point of contention. Yes. My heart broke for the elk. The brutality of it where it's almost like, OK, have you you've seen Into the Wild or you've read Into the Wild? Yes. Because there's a scene in Into the Wild where he kills a moose and he's unable to properly, like, preserve it. 
And so it ends up being this total waste. And that's sort of, I got the same guttural feeling that I did in that scene in Into the Wild where they intend to kill all these elk in order to save the meat and save all the parts of the elk to do something with it. But because they haven't planned it out and because it's snowing and because it's winter, there's no way to save all these elk. And so they've essentially just murdered a band of elk because they're teenage boys and they just wanted to like prove that they were macho. And the result is that they killed a bunch of animals and have nothing to show for it. And I could feel Lewis's regret really deeply. And I felt the elk-headed woman's sense of revenge. I understood her motive. Even if I wasn't clear on whether she was the mother of the baby, I was clear on why she was doing this. But that's why it felt then so ridiculous to have it end the way that it did because she arguably had motive. Like I wouldn't have felt bad if they had all died and she had ended up winning. Yeah. But then to have the need to have her lose badly and then killed brutally again, it just felt almost like it was counterintuitive to the rest of the book. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. I I had trouble with if it was the reason like it was so upsetting was because of that or because of it was they were killed on like the elders territory. Got you. Yeah. And so that's where I was confused. And I thought it was the latter. And I was like, this feels <laughs> like a little extreme because they went hunting on the wrong land. I, I don't know different customs and different traditions, but that makes a lot more sense <laughs> what you said. Yeah, because it was it was brutal. And I think it, it felt unnecessary. I understood that you couldn't hunt in that particular area. And so they had to like leave the meat behind. What's generally understood with a lot of indigenous cultures is you don't waste and you also don't disrespect the earth, which is also something that more people could (laughs) invest in (laughs) as a belief system. But that was really, to me, Stephen Graham Jones's motive in this is these were kids. They didn't fully understand the weight of what they were doing and they killed a lot of animals. They wasted a lot of resources that people could have used including the elders whose land they were violating by going and hunting on their land. That could have been a a number of different things and to have it end up as nothing and also on top of it end up with so much death. I do think that that was very well told because I think you felt you felt the different responses to it, right? You felt Lewis's regret. You felt Gabe and Cass's denial and you felt Ricky's need to escape And it felt very human in a way that I think, again, just got violated by the sort of campiness of the ending. That makes sense to to think back to like why they kind of gave up on trying to salvage what they had shot, which is like it just started snowing and they were going to be snowed in if they weren't if they didn't like take off right then and there. And then they were going to get caught by the elders as well if they stayed any longer and we were going to get in a lot of trouble, which they ended up doing. <laughs> anyway, yeah. And they ended up <laughs> couldn't go back. So it, it makes sense like why all those pieces kind of like fell into place. We got to get out of here. We made a mistake. We shot all these animals and we're not even able to fulfill what you're supposed to do when you're hunting. And that is to respect the animal 
And so, yes, that all makes sense. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> yes. Honestly, I was on the side of the Elkhead woman to begin with. Oh, a hundred percent. Well, that's the thing is like, he also made a super compelling villain. Like when you realize what's happening, when you realize that, because when Ricky dies and he's like, no, it was the ghost elk. And that's who bashed it all your cars. And the guys are like, uh, no, and murder him instead. Like, what is going on? And then as it unfurls with Lewis, what a brilliant twist to have it be like, you deserve some repercussions. Like that was super, super cool. And then having her age and having her like be this weird spirit. I was so into it. And and that's why also like it felt really weird to me because he made this antagonist who was super worthy of like respect and power in her own right. She was fearsome, more fearsome than and I don't think that she deserved to die. And I certainly don't think that she deserved to die and be defeated in the way that she ended up being dead and defeated, which maybe is a good lead into the women of it all. (laughs) The woman of it all. At first, I was like, I don't know how this villain is going to like play out. And I was kind of like, God, we're, you know, 75 pages into this book. And like, Lewis still is here. He's just like doing his thing. Like, I get it that like his dog died, but like in a brutal way, but kind of like what's going to happen. And then when he freaking goes off his rocker and is like, Shaney is the, is the Elkhead woman. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with him? And then he like pulls her face into like a running motor or whatever. I was like, oh my God. And then he like kills his wife and I was like, oh my God. And then he realized that he was right. That Shaney was the Elkhead woman. But was she? I thought she was because she came back as her. That's like, okay, talk about confusing because. Okay. He thought Shaney was the Elkhead woman, but then did the Elkhead woman just inhabit Shaney after she died? So that she could confuse them? Or was it actually Shaney who was the Elkhead woman? These are questions I have. You know, it's probably the latter because it wasn't because Shaney was the cousin of the of Cassidy's girlfriend. But yeah, sorry. Sorry. Go on. No, you're right, though. Hmm, see, now I don't know. Because how did she inhabit? I thought that Shaney ended up not being the Elkhead woman and then PETA ended up dying because she fell. And then he thought PETA was the Elkhead woman, which she might have been because she ended up being pregnant with the elk, but the elk was actually the Elkhead woman. I don't know. (laughs) Even more lost than I was reading this book as of this moment. I have no idea. In any case, it was um, it was quite the plot twist and I quite enjoyed it. And then from like that point into the the red sweat lodge, I was like, this is this is it. Like, this is so sick. And then, yes. And then you try and here we get into the woman of it all. You have Denora, Gabe's daughter, and she's in high school. And all we know about her, she likes basketball. <laughs> that is her one main personality. <laughs> <laughs> like even Nate, the like high school boy is like, she's just a really good basketball player and it's like okay this is the girl that is saving the day and like she just like straight up plays basketball with this creepy ass woman there's so much of it that's so confusing here's what i also have to say about like the shaney and pita of it all ordinarily i'd be like hey maybe we could build up the women characters a little bit more in this story i, I wasn't really mad about shaney and pita 
Me neither. But also, like, <laughs> crazy to have Shaney die in, like, a full-on motorcycle, like, slicing her head off. That was insane, and it was so disturbing. And, oh my god, this book was really brutal with the violence. But... Yeah, with Denora, I could forgive it less because it's like, okay, we're going to have this woman, this woman, she's 14, this girl come in and save the day by playing this weird basketball game and then get into this like chase with this elk-headed woman. And she has no personality or like any character to her. And she makes dumb choices that are so contradictory to who you're claiming her to be. Like it was just so bizarre to me. I just, I could not, I could not wrap my head around saying, okay, I'm going to build this really intense spirit elk-headed woman and then have Gabe's daughter who he loves come in. And I'm not going to give her any motive or really any concept of common sense. And then she's going to be the one to bring this really intelligent demon being down. (laughs) Yes. And like, this is a freaking demon. She can outrun her. There isn't no world that this, like it freaking inhabits other human beings. I think the other thing that makes no sense to me in this is like, I get that the elk-headed woman wanted to hurt and kill everyone who was related to those four guys because that's what they had done to her family. But by the same token... I don't know. It's just the Denora thing really landed badly with me. Not only did she not have a personality, but but I just felt like, yeah, like, why was she in a chase scene? Obviously, the demon would have overtaken her. Why was she playing basketball with the demon? Like, why was she winning basketball with a demon? That's the thing. It's like you cannot you cannot make an all powerful being and then decide last minute that a 14 year old girl like just somehow has more skill. Like, that's just not how demons and ancestral power works, babe. No, and I get the idea of like, you took my calf, I'm going to take yours. But then you didn't. Yeah, and I also like... On the topic of the violence, he's a horror author, and so it makes sense that he's writing pretty brutal stuff, but it also just felt so unnecessary to the plot. Nate's dad getting his head caved in and then almost decapitated made literally no sense to me. It was just like, oh, here's another gruesome death to add to the pile. It just, it was, there was no reason for it. He wasn't connected to the four guys. He wasn't even really protecting them. He didn't even really like them. And he was just essentially trying to like protect his son, who's also unrelated, like too many characters, too messy. Also, okay, you need to describe to me how Cassidy's girlfriend died because I still don't understand her. I do not understand. Okay, she was in a ditch and then at first I thought it was Gabe's truck, but I think it's her truck. I think it's Cassidy's truck. Oh, Cassidy's truck. Okay, his truck. I read it as like it flipped and it was, it had the hood open. And so when it flipped, it like chomped her and then it rolled. Okay, but my, my question mainly is that she she's come back from work. She knows they're in the sweat lodge. Cassidy told her that. She makes no attempts to say, hi, what's up? I have arrived back from work. She gets under the truck to presumably do some maintenance, says no word. They all come out of the sweat lodge. She still says nothing. They get into an altercation with this demon. She's not saying a word. Uh, That's what's so confusing to me is like this woman is under a truck. Like she fully has the potential to 
arguably sneak up on the demon, does nothing, says nothing, does nothing, doesn't even say hello, and then is just under the truck and gets murdered. Like, it makes zero sense to me. I thought she was dead when she got there. I just straight up thought like she had, I don't know, she just was dead. Because like, yeah, yeah, why wouldn't you say anything? Why wouldn't you be like, hey guys, what's up? Why are we fighting? At some point, even before she died, she had to come home. She had to make noise. There is no way in which this girl just like immediately drops dead and go like is under the truck. And wouldn't she, would she see the dead dogs? Because what's the timeline there? Like, did Gabe come out of the sweat lodge, see the dead dog, go back into the sweat lodge? And then, because he cr- he cracked the, the beer bottle, because that's how Cassidy's like, no, you killed my dog. And he was like, I did not kill your dog. Was she just, she had to have heard them arguing about the dead dogs. I do not, I simply have no concept of how that girl ended up under a truck and how... I get that the truck decapitated her, but I don't understand how she ended up under that truck or why she was there in the first place. I I just, there were certain parts of it where I was like, this is simply unnecessary. Like Cassidy's girlfriend didn't need to exist. Yeah. It is ridiculous to try to insert characters who don't need to be there. Denora, quite frankly, didn't really need to be there other than like the demon just saying that I know that you have a kid and I'm going to kill her too. That's all we needed to know about Denora, theoretically. I didn't need the basketball plot. I could have done without all of the basketball. No, we are 100% right in all in all respects. I have nothing to add. Yeah, I was like, I felt like I was missing something throughout the entire book. Like, it never just clicked. Like, it never was like, oh, and then, like, the whole story kind of, like, falls into place. You had, like, little moments of, like, oh, and then it was like, wait, what? <laughs> Here's the thing. A lot of me felt that, like, we are two white women just, like, reading this book. Like, maybe there's just an element of this book that we're not clicking on because we can't relate to it. And that's completely fair. He's not writing this for me. But I just think that in regards to plainly the plot, I had a lot of moments where it felt like he was biting off a lot more than he could chew. He was trying to make a social commentary on like how Native people are treated in this country. And in some instances, he succeeded. Like I thought that he really succeeded in the case of Ricky's death. But in other instances, like I was like, this just feels so unrelated to the to the main story that you're telling that Uh, And in the same way, again, like that he did with the women where it was like he wanted to include as many women as he did men. And it was just like, I appreciate that you're doing it. I appreciate that you're trying to be inclusive, but I don't get it. Yes. Yeah. No, I I 100% agree. Well, let's get into our final ratings because we could keep going for ages and ages. So I gave this book a three out of five. I just said, what a wild ride. It was um, one of the first horror novels I read. So I had a lot of fun diving into a different genre. I said the introduction of the characters was either too early or too late. Like Ricky was a little too early. Donora was too late. Agreed. And so it kind of had me wishing that there was more context for like the flashbacks and then for everything else that was kind of happening. It was all a little just disorienting, especially at the beginning of like who is who when was when 
and what is happening. And then at the end, but um, I said overall, I was like quite engaged and wanted to see what happened next throughout the entire book. It just like felt as though like it wasn't the scary story that I had like hoped that it would be and ha- kind of hoped I would pick had built up in my head. I feel like it would have been a lot more impactful, like you said, if it just ended after the the sweat lodge scene. Um, I think it would have just packed a bigger punch. Um, so three out of five. Okay. Uh, I will give it, I think I'm going to give it a 3.5 because I genuinely really did love most of the book. Like it really was just the last chapter that I had an issue with. I think that he really made the reveal of the main incident super compelling. I think that Ricky's death and Lewis's insanity really resonated with me. The incident really resonated with me. I think that he was able to pack some really powerful punches about the state of how we treat nature and how indigenous people are treated in America. But I just think that a lot of what he built up character wise and theme wise was just undercut by a really silly ending. And I think that had he ended it with the antagonist living and all the protagonists dying, I would have cared more Uh, I like an ambiguous ending and I didn't need all of my answers met uh, or all my questions answered, excuse me. And I just got really disappointed by him thinking that he had to wrap by Stephen Graham Jones thinking that he had to wrap up everything with a bow. But yeah, listen, you know, what can I say? He he does write horror well. The motorcycle tearing Shani's head off will live with me into infamy, so. There you go. (laughs) Well, there you have it. So let's get into our pairings. Um, We like to end our show with a segment we call Pairings, where Ella and I will pick TV shows, movies, other books, and a drink that might pair well with today's book. Okay, so drink-wise, I just said, honestly, water or cold beer, because so much of this book was, like, so anxiety-inducing, and also they just consume so much water and beer in the sweat lodge scene that I was like, I'm thirsty writing this. But it has to be cold beer in a glass bottle, because I feel like that's exactly what they were drinking, and it just wouldn't be the same if it was in a can. And then, okay, book-wise, I'm not going to choose a book, but I am going to direct everyone to a super cool new resource that I just found. It's fairly new. They're Capital Endian Girls Book Club on Instagram. And basically it was launched by Kinsali Drake and she launched it like I think a couple months ago. Basically they are It says, we are an indigenous woman-led organization. We send out free books by native authors, support indie indigenous booksellers, host free talks with native authors, and host accessible workshops for native youth, especially girls. They are super cool. They're a great resource for finding, like I said, books by native authors. Um, This book, actually, I found out after we had chosen this, they featured this one. Anyway, so go to them. They have a lot of amazing book recommendations and are just like a super cool resource to support. And I'm glad that they exist. So that's my interim book for this week. And then TV show wise, Reservation Dogs. I'm so excited I get to talk about Reservation Dogs. It's on Hulu. It's super, super cool. It's uh, an all native cast basically. And it's about four friends on a reservation. I think that, are they in Oklahoma? I want to say that they're in Oklahoma. 
Oklahoma. Okay, cool. I'm right. And it's just like, it's just a really beautiful show. It's basically just about like the idiocy of being a teenager, but also what being native in this country means ancestrally and like your connections to your roots and how do you navigate your own identity while also respecting where you come from and also dealing with like the bullshit that is America. And yeah, honestly, it's not a shock to anybody when I say this, but film and TV wise and pretty much generally uh, America is pretty crap at depicting native peoples. There just is not a lot of content that isn't super racist. So Reservation Dogs is just an awesome show. Go check it out. And then movie-wise, Prey. It's basically about a young Comanche woman named Naru. I will confess, I watched the beginning and there was a certain point where I had to turn it off because I am a bit of a scaredy cat when it comes to movies, so I can't attest to the whole thing. But the main character is very kind of reminiscent of Denora because she basically ends up having to battle this like evil alien force that is coming for humans and also trying to navigate colonizers who are also taking resources from her tribe. So yeah, like Reservation Dogs, it's featuring a mostly Native and Indigenous cast. And yeah, check that out. Amazing. Okay. So my drink is, like you said, long neck beer, Budweiser. I said long neck bottle. Uh, my TV show referenced it a couple times. So the Red Wedding episode from Game of Thrones, which is the Reigns of Castamere, if you're actually looking for the episode. Because I said, comparing it to the scene at Cassie's house, everybody did in a matter of a few pages. Um, so there's that. Um, my book, I have two. So one of them is We Need to Talk About Kevin. Good one. Yeah. This is written from a mother's point of view of a mother of like a school shooter. Um, and so she's writing these letters to her husband about her son, Kevin. And so they're writing about guilt and shame and just the human experience of navigating this really complicated relationship between a mother and a son and kind of watching your son grow up and realizing that there's like a hidden violence in this in this boy. And there's a big old plot twist at the end of that one. Um, which I won't give away because we're not talking about that book and I don't give away plot twists that we're not talking about. And so the gla- my other one is The Glass Hotel that we have read. I feel like it's the same vibe of like the past haunting you and kind of how the guilt of the past can affect the outcome of your future and how that looks. And then my movie, I also have two and one of them is It, the 2019. Um, it's, you know, a- an entity, an evil entity that takes the form of different things and and what you're most scared of and what you're most haunted by. And so I uh, like The Elkhead Woman. And then my other movie was a movie that I watched when it was like one of the first horror movies I had ever watched. And I just like found it on FX one night or whatever. And it was uh, The Uninvited. Oh, I don't know it. Oh, it's it's good. It's probably not as good if I watched it now, but um, it's a huge plot twist at the end, but it's about like two sisters and they're trying to um, kind of take over their evil stepmom who's trying to kill them. But uh, in the end, and this book was or this movie was released in like the early aughts. So if you haven't seen it, 
that's on you. But the plot twist is at the very end, the sister, the two sisters, she realizes that the one sister had actually killed the other sister <gasps> in the fire. Like her sister had died and she thought that her sister had made it through. And it was the stepmom was not the evil one. It's actually the sister. And she ended up killing the stepmom at the very end. So it's like the mind playing tricks on you and it, nothing's quite what it seems. And she ends up going to like the psych ward. It's it's pretty intense. Whoa. Mm-hmm. That's really, really cool. So those are my, uh, those are my pairings. Excellent pairings. We did it. We did it. <laughs> well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. And until next time, cheers. Cheers. Well, that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked it, please go give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. If you want more book-related content, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at rwreadspodcast. Again, that's at r-w-r-e-a-d-s-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at rwreadspodcast on Instagram and TikTok. Until next week, keep your books open and your drink glasses full. Thanks all.